Would you pray with me? God of peace, would you move among us this morning? Still our anxious hearts and fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as we come to your word this morning, would you soften our hearts and fill us with expectation that these words and this story that some of us have heard many times would come alive to us again in new ways and meet us where we are in this moment. And with the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello, my name is Sarah Gregory, and I am one of the pastors on staff, and it's great to be with you at the bridge this morning. I'm actually going to just dive us right into scripture to start us off, so I'm going to read, and then we'll talk a little bit about the passage. So this is from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. It says this, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the sea. Leaving the crowd behind, they, looked, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I just, I have to start with a story from this past week because it's too good to pass up. I was uh, at the beginning of trying to decide which passage from the lectionary I was going to preach on this morning, and it didn't take very long because when this is the story that's in the lectionary, you probably are going to preach on it. But I had just decided that I was going to preach on this passage, and I was talking to my aunt, um, and she had her granddaughters over who were about five and three. And so I started telling my aunt, hey, um, so I'm going to preach on this passage. It's the one where Jesus falls asleep in the boat, and then there's a storm. And the five-year-old looks up and interrupts me, and she's like, are you telling stories about Jesus? And I was like, yes, I am. And she was like, the one where he's in the boat? And I was like, yeah, do you know the rest of the story? And she goes, yeah. And so she started telling me this story, and she's like, Jesus is in a boat with his friends, and he falls asleep. And then his friends wake him up. And then Jesus gets up and he makes the storm go away. And I was like, yeah. And then she looks me right in the eyes and she goes, Jesus is so powerful. And I was like, yes, he is. Do you want to preach for me on Sunday morning? Because honestly, right now, hearing these beautiful words and hearing this story through the mind and the imagination of a five-year-old was so beautiful. It was so refreshing, honestly, to hear this story through the eyes of childlike faith again. There's something good about listening to someone who hadn't had a lot of experience 
with the metaphorical waves crashing, right, and knocking you down and kicking you off your feet, and hearing the story from someone with a childlike faith that helped me focus on the power of Jesus and not the storm for a minute in the story. And so I actually, before we dive deeper into the passage, I want to just take a minute to sit in that reality. Let's sit in that before we look at the complexities and the messiness that we and the disciples experience within us when we are faced with a storm. Sit and meditate on this for a minute. Jesus is so powerful. Jesus is so powerful. Jesus calms storms and raises the dead. Jesus heals lepers and multiplies food to feed people. Jesus triumphed over death. He defeated every kind of evil that there is. And so this morning, for a minute, let's sit in that and let's echo with the words of Hannah and Mary in scripture, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. And I think that there are probably some of us here today that the simplicity of being reminded from a five-year-old that Jesus is so powerful is the word that you need to take with you, right? There are some of us that that is what we need to cling to and remember and hold on to this week. For some of us, that sermon from a five-year-old is the word of the Lord. Jesus is so powerful, And I wonder if there is another part of the reality of this story that others of us might need to hear today. Because for some of us, Jesus hasn't calmed our storm yet. And he may never calm the storm in the way that we want him to. And so we're out on this boat that's rocking back and forth, and the waves keep hitting us from all sides, and it feels like we can't quite get a full breath before another wave comes. Anyone feel like that a little bit today? And we feel like saying either to Jesus or to the people around us that maybe we think have the power to stop the storm, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? And for those of you today who feel like you're in that place, who are in the middle of the story, please know Jesus is powerful enough to calm the storm but there is also good news to find while the waves are still crashing. And that good news is this. Jesus was present in the boat even before the storm stopped. And Jesus did care, even when it seemed like the circumstances that he allowed the disciples to experience didn't seem caring, right? Because there are more ways to care than just calming the storm. There are more ways to care than just calming the storm. So let's take another look at the story for a moment. Jesus and the disciples, before this passage, had been out teaching and preaching to all of the crowds. And mostly, Jesus had just been telling all kinds of parables, mostly about farming. And people were really confused, and they had no idea what was going on. And then he, after he preached to the crowds, he went with his disciples, just the 12 of them, and actually explained what he meant by what he had been teaching. And then after what sounds like a pretty busy day, they get in a boat to head across the sea to do more ministry. And so Jesus decides to take a nap. Seems fair. And then while Jesus is trying to rest, this chaos starts. 
right? And on the Sea of Galilee, that can happen pretty quickly, actually. One minute it's calm, and the next minute there's just wind coming from everywhere, and waves are crashing, and you're doing everything that you can to keep the boat afloat. And I think anyone would be afraid for their life if they were being thrown to the deck and you start seeing water filling up the boat that you're in. But the disciples probably, as I was studying this passage this week, probably had fear on top of that fear. Fear on top of the fear that they were going to lose their life because in that culture, the sea was also a place that was thought of to be the, where chaos and evil lived. Okay, one of the commentators that I was reading on Mark this week says, this story declares the sovereignty of Jesus over the manifestation of Satan as epitomized by the chaos of the storm. And at another level, it shows the sovereignty of Jesus over the sea that signified the place of darkness and death. And so for the disciples, because they believed that there were also kind of evil and sinister motives in the sea beneath them. The fear of the sea went beyond just the fear of drowning. It was also a fear that there was something sinister, something evil that was the cause of this storm. And so the waves started getting bigger, and the water started crashing over the edge of the boat, and the winds were blowing, and the boat was rocking violently back and forth, and the disciples were terrified, first and foremost, probably for their safety, but they were also afraid because they weren't sure what evil was coming with the waters that crashed over them. And now is the point in my sermon when I contemplated letting my nerdy reader self get the best of me. I thought about illustrating this point with a metaphor from the book Moby Dick, You guys, because I've read that a couple years, and it is a beast, and so I wanted to use it in some capacity. Then I realized that I was likely the only person in the room who would appreciate that sidebar, and so it got cut. You're welcome. I'll just skip straight to the point that I was going to try to make with that illustration, which is this. Situations or things can seem scarier if you're worried that there are sinister motivations fueling them. It adds to the anxiety, right? And this is a time in the world right now that evil motives are being attributed and assigned to everything happening, right? No matter what perspective you're looking at something from, everyone has a presumed villain behind the chaos of many of the waves right now. And so I think I just want to acknowledge that the storms that we are in personally or corporately might seem even scarier than just the fear of the instability that they create. And Moby Dick would have been a great way to illustrate that point. I promise, but I will spare you and talk to me later if you want to hear more about that. Um, So back again to Jesus in the boat. Like I said, the disciples are out in the middle of the sea, They're tired from the day before, and then the waves and the chaos and the presumed evil start crashing in around them. They're exhausted and afraid. The waters that had been quiet and stable are unstable. The disciples are crashing into the sides of the boats and grasping onto anything that they can find for stability. And Jesus is sleeping. And it doesn't seem like he's doing anything to prevent any of this. And I'm sure that if I grabbed a microphone and I stepped down into the aisles, each one of you could probably tell me a different version of this storm story in your own lives. Probably each one of you could tell a version of this storm story just from the last year. Maybe the waves for you were the loss of a family member in a year that was already so chaotic and full of loss. 
Maybe the waves were an uncertainty of not knowing when you would get your green card approved so that you could get a job and provide for your family. Maybe the waves for you were not being allowed to gather in person with your family and friends when you really needed support. Maybe the waves were people around you villainizing you because of a different political position that you hold that they disagree with. And there was tension that arose in relationships because of that, and it just felt like waves were crashing. Maybe the waves were a feeling of the loss of control in places that you have been able to control in some capacity in the past. Maybe the waves were financial instability, or the loss of a job, or the loss of a relationship, or the moving away of a pastor or a worship leader that you connected deeply with. And maybe it feels even scarier and worse because you fear sinister motivation from a leader or a political party or culture or an individual person. And in the midst of all of these variety of waves, it might seem like Jesus is asleep in the boat. The disciples can relate, obviously. They felt the chaos and the fear of drowning in literal and tangible ways. But Jesus was in the same place that they were, and he was not afraid. Because, as the five-year-old said, Jesus is so powerful. At any moment, Jesus has the power to change circumstances. Jesus has the power to literally change the weather. And so he's not frightened during the storm. You know, some of you, that line from The Lion King where Simba says, I laugh in the face of danger. Ha, 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 you know? Um, well, as I was, I was preparing this sermon, I kept thinking of the phrase, Jesus naps in the face of chaos. You know, he naps in the face of chaos. And I don't mean to say that flippantly, because Jesus also weeps with those who weep. And he mourns with those who mourn. And he does not take lightly the experiences of people who are hurt or afraid. But he is not afraid of the things that we are often afraid of. Jesus is not afraid of the chaos. Jesus is not shaken by the waves. And yet we are genuinely frightened right now. The waves can feel threatening, especially if we believe there's something sinister beneath them. And we want to make it stop. We want to put an end to the instability and the storm. We want the waves to calm down and we want calm waters again. Lord knows, I want calm waters again. I am ready for waves to stop coming. I just am ready to be able to like set the sail on the boat and have it catch the wind in just the right spot and go in the direction that I was actually planning to go in and not have waves crashing and throwing us off course. I am so ready for that. We are all ready for some calm waters. But I don't know that that was actually the invitation to the disciples in this passage. The first invitation the disciples had was to trust that Jesus cared about them enough to not let them drown. Did you hear that in the story? When the disciples rushed to wake up Jesus in the midst of the chaos, the question they asked him was, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? They thought Jesus was apathetic toward their pain, and they wondered whether Jesus was maybe going to let the ship go down and then walk atop the water to find some new disciples who are better sailors, right? Friends, let me tell you, that is not the character of our God. That is not the character of Jesus to just let us drown or to remain apathetic in the face of our pain. 
even when you waver and even when you doubt, even when you lose heart and lose strength to even keep trying to put sails up and keep your boat afloat, Jesus still cares, and even then, he will not let you drown. Or in the more familiar words for at least some of us from our baptismal promises, Jesus loves you, little one. Even though you know nothing of it yet, you belong to Jesus, and he will never let you down. He will never let you go. It's going to be okay. Jesus is still in the boat with you and with us. And I wonder if ultimately that was the invitation that Jesus was extending to the disciples. That they would trust him to act when it was time to act. That they would trust his care enough to know that he was not planning to let them drown. Because, see, in this story, Jesus does calm the storm in the disciples' preferred timing. But he also ends up speaking a word of caution and correction to the disciples for their lack of faith in his care and lack of patience in his timing. As I read the story this week and I listened to the five-year-old that I was with, I was reminded again of the power of Jesus to calm the storm. And you hear it in the, the disciples after the story, right? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Certainly by the end of the story, The impressiveness of Jesus' power over nature was on display for all to see, and that is beautiful, and that is good. And yet, it left me wondering, was there a different miracle that they missed because they woke Jesus up early? Was there something more beautiful, perhaps something more powerful, perhaps more loving that Jesus would have done had the disciples let Jesus intervene in his own time? Was there a different kind of peace and calm that Jesus wanted to offer? Maybe. And now I'm going to close a sermon in a way that I had hoped to never close a sermon ever, which is by quoting some cliche Christian wall art. I tried to find who the original, like, speaker of this phrase was, and it's been repeated so many times that no one knows, right? Because it's... Uh, yeah, it, but it's good. It's good. I have, I have a general aversion to things that ha, are really repeated or are come, they come wrapped in like a neat package. But I think that this is an extremely true statement. And I wonder if this is not the word of the Lord coming to us fresh in this moment through a frequently used phrase. And so I'm going to read it a couple of times slowly and just invite you to sit in this truth. Peace isn't found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of God. Peace isn't found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of God. Peace isn't found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of God. And I have no doubt that many of us feel like we are in the midst of a storm, either in our personal lives, in our church, or as we're engaging in the world right now. And please first hear that the presence of a storm does not mean that God is absent. God has not left your circumstance or this church or the world just because things feel more volatile right now than they used to. 
Peace is available even now because God is with us. Emmanuel, right? God is the one who dwells among us. He came near. He is close. And so hear the invitation this morning that the peace of God can be found in the midst of the storm by becoming aware again of the presence of God who is love, who is peace, the God who is powerful, the God who is sovereign over the waves and over the chaos. And his presence is enough to hold you through this season. And I do pray that soon, soon, please Jesus, I pray that soon we will experience and you will experience the cessation of the waves. That the wind will die down and the chaos will calm. But until then, remember that Jesus is in this boat with you and with me and with us. I invite you to create some space this week to focus again just on his presence. Focus again just on his character. Focus on his love for you, his love for the church, his love for the world. Because the presence of God with us offers us all stability, even in the most turbulent of moments. Would you pray with me? God, you are Lord over the waves. You are our only rock, our only firm foundation, our only source of comfort, our only source of hope. So would you remind us of your presence among us today? And for those who need comfort or healing or peace, would your spirit minister to them? For those who feel unseen or who are starting to believe that you or others don't care about them, would your spirit minister to them? For those who have let go of their grip on the rope attached to the sails because they are exhausted and tired of fighting the waves, would your spirit minister to them? For those who can see the hope of the shores ahead and have been given vision for what is to come and are struggling to stay compassionate and present in the waves and on the boat, would your spirit minister to them? For those who feel grief and anger and fear and maybe can't even fully name why, would your spirit minister to them? And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would root us all and establish us deeply in your love, that you would center us in your will, that you would sustain us for the journey, and that you would keep giving us eyes to see the ways that you are calling us out in deeper trust to partner with your kingdom coming in this world by the power of your spirit for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.